Welcome to the Reforming Lounge, a podcast on spiritual formation for the wandering heart. Every Wednesday, we gather to discuss questions centered around mental health and discipleship in the context of the local church. All right, well, good morning. Welcome to the Reforming Lounge. Uh, My name is Marco, and I am here with my good friend and co-host, Mike Fowler. What's up, dude? Dude, I'm so glad to know that we're friends. <laughs> I'm glad I made that. So, like, I, I was very, very clear about that. Yeah, I wasn't totally confident in what I exactly sure what our I was going to say. Is. Yeah. So I feel like I just bother you with questions. So to know that there's a friendship here yeah, on both there, sides there is, is exciting as well. <laughs> That's awesome. So the Reforming Lounge is, uh, and it's our new (laughs) podcast. It's one where um, we are talking about spiritual formation and mental health uh, for the wandering heart. And so you may have heard that bumper as you uh, started listening to this podcast. But um, uh, what we're aiming at doing is talking about just really the contours of both of those massive topics. And uh, but before we get into all of that, uh, we thought it'd be good to uh, to start our podcast with um, just an introduction as to who we are, how this podcast came to be, and, and really like why we think this is important or why we think it's a conversation worth having. And so, um, how about this? How about you start by just telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So. As Marco said, I'm Mike Fowler. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of Texas. Um, I am a member at a local church here in DFW area. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's all. That's me. That's everything. That's it. That's everything. Yeah. What's the name of your church? It's covered. It's covered. City View. <laughs> City View Church. I feel like I need to say it with authority, so eventually you'll remember what church. I remember at. the name Rick, of the church. It's sure. a good church. Sure. Yeah. Rick would be so hurt if he knew yeah. that he can't remember the name of his church. <laughs> it's but, true, he would yeah. be. <laughs> and they're uh, they're part of the Acts twenty nine plant that obviously you were also connected to. Yes. Um, so so are you a are you a DFW native? Yes. Grew Born up in. Saginaw and uh yeah so did my wife she grew up in Haltom met in Denton which is also where I met you yeah and uh yeah I went to school in Abilene for a little bit unfortunately and <laughs> by, by the grace of God made it out of there and then back in the DFW hopefully to stay forever there you go nice probably not I'm trying to get you down here We'll see. Yeah. How, how long? How long have you and your wife been married? Oh, you should have told me you were going to ask me that question. Seven no. years. Mary, see in July. In July. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven years in July. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, bro. I know, dude. I know. It's wild. Yeah. And you have so, you have a toddler. No. Right. Yeah. Yep. I mean. Yeah. Part toddler, part monster. There She's you go. turning two in July. Also. Dang. So, yeah, I know, bro. It's crazy. That's awesome. So, she's wild. And so, okay, so DFW native, loving your wife, living your best life now. <laughs> got a got a, a 2-year-old um and and you're a counselor. 
Yes. Right, yeah. But like, so, you're, but like, you're the real deal. You're not just a person who has like the gift of counseling. Like you, you have that in addition to this is your profession. Right. Right. Yeah. I hope I do have a gift, but yeah, I am also a licensed professional. So <laughs> according to the state of Texas. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool, so man. I, uh, I'm at a nonprofit most of the week. Okay. Um, working with veterans and family members of veterans. Yeah. Uh, and then I also have a private practice, FowlerFamilyTherapy.com. Check it out. But, Seamless uh, plug. Boom. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, mainly through my private practice, I really focus on couples. That's kind of what I'm most, uh, I don't know. That's just the area that I've always been drawn to. Um, people kind of talk about couples as if they are like this, impenetrable beast uh, right. to have to cancel like multiple people at once. Sure. So it's just kind of attractive to me, but I really enjoy it. I feel like I've, I've gotten a lot of experience in that area and yeah, man, it's just, uh, I feel like it's, it's super fun working with couples. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're, you're a great fit to, to counsel and meet with couples. I mean, at the same time, that's also been something that, man, you've talked to me about for years. And like, that was, that was the goal of going to school and getting your degree in counseling, getting your license. Um, like that was something you wanted to do, which I thought was always so uh, admirable because you, you clearly had this goal to me. Like you knew, in other words, you knew what you wanted to do, not just what field of study you wanted to go in. You knew exactly what you wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. That developed as I went, I think. Sure. Uh, sure. And I'm super glad that, you know, I did end up liking it once I got into it. Cause it's a lot of work, man, honestly, like, cause you've, you know, you've got to get an undergraduate degree, which took me six years. Cause I started out a business major right. and then grad school was another three years and grad school, you're getting counseling experience towards the end. But then once you do that, you have to pay for this expensive state test to get an associate license. Yeah. And so it's kind of like if you don't pass that test, I mean, you've got some serious roadblocks coming up. <laughs> uh, and even once you do, then you've got to be an intern. So you get yeah. 3000 hours. And so now I'm finally to the point where I'm actually fully licensed. Dang, so, dude. Yeah, dude, it's That's a road. A so like, yeah. if you decide in the midst of that, I'm just not cut out for this. Whew, it's a wow. lot of, yeah. Yeah, cool. Nice. Well, that's, that's you. Yeah. So tell us about you. Uh, well, my name is Marco Delion and I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, what is it? Jack of all trades, but I'm a master of none of them. Um, mm -hmm. so, so I'm a pastor in South Texas and I don't know if our listeners know much about Texas, but a lot of people believe that South Texas is San Antonio. And that is not that that's still part of central Texas. And so I am about 10 minutes. I'm in McAllen, Texas, also known as the Rio Grande Valley. So I'm about 10 minutes North of the U S Mexico border. And, um, yeah, so that tip of Texas, all that bottom stuff, that's where I'm at. And whenever I tell people about you, I say you're from super, super South Texas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, there's this all there's this other distinction because the valley, like the, the Rio Grande Valley is also just known as either the RGB, the nine five six, or just the valley. And um 
the valley is not the south though because a lot of people will say you know you know deep south texas and oh that's part of the south like no it is completely different than what we would label as the the south of the united states right like mississippi louisiana georgia um this is not that um it has its own culture because it's a it's a it's a border climate and so what that means is you have two cultures culminating into one and making its own and so you got border culture so it's not um the valley is not mexico and it's not the united states and it's this culmination of both creating its own identity creating its own culture creating its own values and um and so people on people in mexico you know mock people from the valley because even the language is a little different and then people in the united states um uh critique the valley because it's ranked as one of the most un-american regions in the united states um even though there's a ton of uh armed forces veterans over here um mm-hmm. like the it's it's one of the the highest um like populated areas of individuals going into the armed forces but Apart from that, it's like when you're here, it's just not, you don't necessarily think it's an all-American city. <laughs> so, that's- so, when, so when you say un-American, you mean like a lack of patriotism or just yeah. a lack of traditional American culture? Of- yeah, I think more, not so much a lack of patriotism. I shouldn't say that, but yes, a lack of okay. uh, American traditional culture. Um, okay. And so, so the Valley is very it's very monocultural in the sense that sometimes if you're not from down here, or if you haven't spent a lot of time down here, sometimes individuals will uh, assume that there's a lack of diversity in the Valley. Like it's primarily a Hispanic population. About 92% of the population is Hispanic. And so they will say, well, you know, there's a lack of diversity and to a degree on paper. Yes, there's, there's, there's a lack of diversity. However, (laughs) um, there is a great deal of diversity, except the Valley has conditions. <laughs> In other words, yeah, man, you can open and run an Asian market. In fact, you should open and run an Asian market as long as you speak Spanish, as long as you eat tacos, as long as, as long as you're cool with these values, then you can run all the Asian markets that you want. Um, go ahead. And the same thing is said about so many other uh, ethnicities and demographics that uh, we, we got a couple of restaurants down here um, uh, of individuals who are of, like Jamaican origin. And it's the same thing. Like they're, they're promoting like all their traditional family recipes, foods, and they're written in Spanish. Um, it's, wow. <laughs> you know, grocery wow. stores are both in English and in Spanish. And so it's like, yeah, you can do all the things as long as, as long as you have, you meet these, these requirements and so anyway yeah that's the valley and so i'm a pastor down here at a store at a store at a church called uh, storehouse community church and so we are a replant um and we can talk about what that means later but uh, we replanted about four years ago but our congregation has been gathering for about a little over a decade now and uh, yeah, so I'm a pa- I'm the pastor at Storehouse Community Church here in McAllen, and I'm married to my beautiful wife Rebecca, 
Uh, she is not a Valley native, though. She is from Southern California. And um, we have a son. Don't have, My toddler is a little older than yours. My son is 16 years old now. And we have been married uh, for seven years. Seven years um, earlier this month. Oh, yeah. Y'all just hit it. I always forget we got married so close together. Yeah, yeah. We, we're in May. And then, yeah, two months later, you, you got married. Yeah, dude. You got married, then you came down and married us. <laughs> yeah 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 pretty much yeah man so okay with all those introductions happening let's talk a little bit about like okay so we talked a little bit about our families you talked a little bit about man how you particularly how you got licensed and in some of our context as well um man how did you and i get to connect and i want you to tell the story because i don't know that i've ever heard you tell the story and i'm so curious so how did you and i get connected and and then I'll I'll jump in every once in a while, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty of this podcast. So funny because I was th- thinking the same thing that I wonder how you would tell the story. <laughs> but uh, honestly, what I what I remember, um, I mean, I remember Ross at C three Denton um, introducing you, just saying that you were coming up to help out with some of the, I think the community <laughs> group stuff primarily, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And um, he was like, yeah, go introduce yourself, which I did not. And then Parker was putting together that like trailer for Samson. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so he, you know, came to me and asked me to participate in that. So I did. And uh, I think that's when you and I actually first actually met. Yeah. And like talked and yeah. uh yeah i remember just chatting with you a little bit kind of throughout the day um and i don't really remember how we ended up connecting afterwards was it yeah i mean it was mainly just going to church on on sunday because yeah <laughs> well we spent the whole day together for that trailer yeah and yeah. so yeah i remember that i remember parker coming up to me and saying we need some philistine looking dudes to be in this trailer for this movie called samson (laughs) and do you remember where it was it was like this old like closed down warehouse not warehouse um hardware store and we like the square yeah right right, yeah and and we had like makeup put on us we had these like uniforms put on us by parker's wife and marianne and uh oh yeah and there was like some dumbbells and a bench press so that you can get a pump before we did whatever scenes. <laughs> I do not remember do. that. Yeah. There was this little, little bench press, this little, like it was two dumbbells. That was it. It was nothing. And uh, like what size dumbbells? Oh gosh. I don't remember. Like just, you know, 25, oh, 35 pound dumbbells and uh, attracts. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And so, uh, cause we did that scene at the, at the hardware store and then we went to, what was it called? It was like, like, like Charles, like, dude, I don't know where that was. I remember. Like I was so unfamiliar with that area that, yeah. that, that part almost feels like a dream. I don't remember like what direction we went. I, I just remember, remember we either. ended up at this place and we drove there together. Like whoever it yeah. is that we were there, we drove there together and, um, I mean, all of that was new. I had only lived in Denton at the time for about a month. And so all of that was brand new to me. And we did some other scene where we actually fought Samson, like on the beach. 
Yeah. And um, and then that was it. And then we grabbed dinner at the square and mm-hmm. we got paid 150 bones. And that was it. What was that place that we ate at? <laughs> I don't remember. I just remember Parker saying we could get whatever we wanted. Yeah. The place was so good. I remember I went there later and they like had lost their liquor license. So they couldn't <laughs> sell you any alcohol, but they were giving away like one free drink. Yeah. And yeah. It was like the best day of my life. I remember putting it on Facebook. <laughs> like, man, just got a free beer. At, That's hilarious. Dude, I don't remember. Oh, but Sweetwater, yeah. that was a. Yeah, it was Sweetwater. Wait, was it Sweetwater? Yeah. It was not Sweetwater. Dude, it was Sweetwater and they're shut down now. Yeah, they are shut down. Yeah. It's another yeah, it's bar area. Sad days. Yeah, man. The place is good. So that's how we met. But then yep. we just started hanging out both on Sundays. And then, I mean, after Sundays, we just started hanging out. You were a student at UNT at the time. Right. Yeah. And we were just, yeah, yeah I think, I don't remember how else. We just started hanging out with one another and it became just like this regular thing. Oh, it was so much more intentional than that. It was. I'm not saying yeah, yeah but I'm saying in terms well, of like how we how we got some momentum. Yeah. So what I recall, I feel like it's kind of coming back to me now. Cause I remember we had gone to Fuzzies after church one day. And I think that was like when you initiated us like getting together at yeah. we went to Seven Mile and got breakfast. That's right. Like 40 to- 45 minutes late and i remember that sitting there drinking my coffee like what's up with this dude i was 45 minutes late and he's like yeah bro you were so late i didn't know anything about the valley at that point so i didn't know to just expect that from you yeah oh gosh that's terrible i don't don't remember why i was i remember you shared your testimony with Mm -hmm. me and then i remember after that I think you like shot me a text message or something and basically told me a little bit about what discipleship was and that you were looking for some dudes to disciple and asked if I was interested. Yeah. And even growing up in the church, I didn't, I didn't, you had to explain to me what discipleship was. I'd yeah. grown up in the church and I didn't even know what that word meant outside of like, Oh, Jesus had disciples. Yeah. And so I was all about it. And then I remember the first time that we got together for that, was at cigar frogs yeah which is also close that's how i put that hole yeah i know i didn't know that until i drove up to then to go to cigar frogs and found out that they were closed yeah but i think like where it was at it's still a cigar lounge now it's just owned by someone else it is now yeah yeah Yeah. i think someone else ended up up. yeah man Yeah. yeah so we started like a friendship, a discipleship relationship. And then you graduated, you proposed to your wife, Shelby. Um, um, I moved back down to the Valley to get married. And then we've just stayed in touch throughout that, throughout that, throughout this entire time. It's, especially when, when you and Shelby were in, were in Abilene, because that was a hard oh, yeah. season for y'all. Dude, yeah, that was horrible. You're really a lifeline for me when I was out there. Like, I just remember so many of our conversations of just struggling through it. You were such a support for us. Yeah, man. Well, I was glad we were able to to stay in touch, keep the banter alive, and then, uh, and then, man, see you guys flourish. I think 
persevere, not just flourish, but persevere through that kind of season. And then coming back into the DFW and watching y'all thrive now, which has been really cool, particularly being a part of a healthy church. And so, um, so as we've kept our friendship alive and aflamed, uh, some of the things that we've been talking about over the last couple of years has been some of the experience that you were getting as uh, an intern, as you were receiving the hours that were required for you to receive your license in counseling. Uh, but you had a couple of, um, a uh, couple of clients, a couple of um, areas where you were beginning to um, receive experience. You were beginning to serve at a former church at this capacity. Um, I had replanted uh, what is now Storehouse McAllen, and I was doing a lot of counseling. And so um, we would just kind of go back and forth about this ministry of counseling. And we would go back and forth on some of the experiences and some of the things that you were learning and vice versa. And then I feel as though it was more a couple of months ago where our conversation centered around the same thing started becoming a lot more detailed, dialed in and intentional surrounding the conversation around yes, counseling, but in particular, spiritual formation and mental health. And in per particularly as a result of coming out of 2020, I remember one of the conversations we had was whether or not you foresaw this rising urgent need to help others, disciple others in the context of, of mental health. And so we started just kind of going back and forth. And, and I think this is how this podcast at the very least began. And now, now we're here. Would you agree? What would you add to that? Yeah, I think that tracks. I mean, I, I was actually thinking about this morning of this does feel really layered personally for me, just through the progression of like, you know, some of the frustrations at our old church and um, just what God was doing in my heart through that. And then at the same time, just as I've kind of continued to wrestle with being a therapist, with being a Christian, predominantly counseling in a secular setting um, and just how much the church has leaned in, the church as a whole, um, at least in America, seems to have leaned in heavily into the mental health side. Yeah. Um, and just that's been a weird, weird experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's la launch right into it. And so as we begin having that discussion about, hey, let's start a podcast, um, we, we wanted to have this particular episode um, be an introduction to a very broad subject of, or a very broad conversa conversation centered around mental health and the church. And so we're going to talk very broadly about this. And I think I'd mentioned earlier where episodes to come are going to be a lot more dialed in and a lot more specific. This is just kind of what's been going on in our heads and just some of the conversations we've been having over the last couple of years. Um, and so when we consider the conversation um, centered, when we consider the conversation on mental health and, and the church, what is it that we're getting at? What is it that you want to be talking about um, broadly speaking? More than anything, just a more balanced view. Mm. Um, I, th I think that there's, 
it, it seems as if people can kind of lean too heavily into mental health as if the point of the gospel is for just our own individual purification and betterment and in whatever mm. way that we see that to be. Yeah. Um, and so I think we'll take things from the field of psychology and kind of like that seems to be more of the foundation and we kind of sprinkle the gospel on top of it rather mm. than the gospel being our main course and us like being sanctified in our mental health and those things changing and being purified. Um, it seems to go the other way. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sense. kind of this, the, 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 the gospel is diluted as a result of, um, literature tactics methods from the field of psychology and, and, and even regarding just other areas um, uh, concerning mental health and helping individuals in the midst of doing that individuals or the church can even dilute the gospel. Um, and I think in doing so um, it presents Jesus as uh, someone who he isn't right. right. Um, it yeah. dismisses uh, it dismisses the core message of the gospel, which is that God entered into human history as the man, Jesus Christ, to save sinners, right? Dying uh, in our place for our sin so that we would be redeemed and reconciled to the Father. And that that is the core message of the gospel. That's the entire redemptive story of God's purposes right. throughout Scripture. And I think, yeah, I would agree that sometimes... Um, uh, individuals pull too much from the field of psychology or likewise so that they would, I think the idea is to help individuals understand themselves or to help um, gain some traction in some of the areas of their lives. But in doing so um, they dismiss the gospel. The gospel is now blurred and muddied um, the person and work of Christ um, or uh, his specific personhood and his specific work on the cross is now secondary or tertiary. Um, and so, yeah, it gets watered down. And what's interesting is that it gets watered down, not just with different methods, but it gets watered down even using gospel centered language. Mm, yes. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things I've been thinking about with, with all of this uh, is that it's not even like this is, explicitly coming out of a bad place. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that we can see from scripture that there are people that are intentionally misleading us yeah. uh, for their own gain. But I think that there's also th plenty of things that are good things that can be made to be ultimate things. Yeah. And that's where I think we can really do some damage to not only our own walk, but also how we communicate these things to other people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the other things that we've been talking about uh, has been the role of of even emotions when it comes to the individual um, and and the church, right? Um, and how similarly that seems to take uh, um, a similar approach. I didn't want to use the same word, but it seems to take a similar approach in the sense that yeah. even within the church, I think sometimes you have these these two camps that tend to be um, you got stoics and then you got emotionalism. Stoics are all about emotions, not being good emotions, being evil and sinful. You got those who would lean into emotionalism saying, man, this is what matters. This is what's important. This is at the core of who I am. And, and 
both have some good things that like there's some meat on those bones. But the problem is that when you look at those who are so stoic is that they would man ignore even how the heart functions and that they would ignore how to actually engage emotions in a biblical way uh, because they're incapable of doing it. And the thing is, that's the same thing said of those who would lean into emotionalism, that when it comes to their emotions, they lean into them too much that they are unable to discern um, biblical truths, that they are unable to discern what is godly and ungodly, righteous and unrighteous, good and evil, um, because they have leaned too much into uh, emotionalism. But then outside of the church, you see that almost being preached um, very loudly from a culture who seems to embrace um, emotionalism and distort truth. Um, and it just creates further, further problems. Yeah. Yeah. Culturally, it's almost as if there is no such thing as actual truth. It's like truth is dependent on the individual. And so you just need to, you know, follow your heart, do what's good for you, do what makes you happy, which is ironically, so many of those things can lead to horrible suffering, right? Mm. Because uh, th there can be this idea that, well, I'm going to, so if I make a decision, um, use, use divorce for an example, right? Yeah. And that's uh, to be very clear. This is not to say anything against people who have been divorced. Yeah. Um, Cause I understand that can be such a, a complicated issue. Yeah. Um, but when it's used loosely and it's just, do whatever makes you happy in the moment. Divorce is an incredibly painful experience mm. long-term, regardless of even where you stand in, in your religious beliefs or how you look at it. it. It causes suffering ultimately because there's separation. And I think we can expect that if God ordains something to be one way and we're breaking that, mm. that there's going to be results of that. Um, and so not only is it leave a real impact emotionally for the people that have gone through it, but all the people that are connected to that also, but it could have been based out of this idea of, well, I was doing what made me happy. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think that stuff is so embedded in the culture that sometimes Christians can't separate that and identify that as horrible advice and yeah. like anti-scripture yeah. to just yeah. do what makes you happy. Yeah. Because I think when you look at, for instance, not just the skill, but the gift of discernment, right? That implies that we understand God's word and are applying God's word. But in order to apply God's word, we actually must be rooted in his word. We actually must be, uh, we must find ourselves in personal devotion and communion with the Lord himself uh, in our Bibles through prayer and scripture reading, right? So that we can discern, right? When, when you look at, for instance, or practice discernment, but when you look at, for instance, um, uh, Hebrews five, the author of that letter is writing to a church who is, um, beginning to, uh, lack in their spiritual endurance as they, as they try to pursue Christ. But in addition to that, there is growing apathy within the church. And so in chapter five, the author almost, uh, abruptly, um, cuts off what he is saying to exhort and even rebuke the church. Um, I think it's in verse 14 where he opens up by saying, you know, and this is a terrible paraphrase, but he opens up by saying, um, we can't continue teaching you the doctrines of Christ because you've become 
sluggish. You've become hard of hearing. And some of you think that you are mature, but instead you're not, you don't need solid food. You need, you need milk. You need someone to remind you of the oracles of God, because some of you ought to be teachers and you're not. And he concludes that section um, by telling them that solid food is for the mature, for the mature, those who practice constantly practice the skill of discernment. And so when you look at several Christians within the American church today, man, discernment sucks because discernment now means I got to actually ground myself, not just in, in the word of God, but I actually have to engage the word for what it's actually saying. Not just how do I feel about this? How does this make me apply certain things to my life? And the truth is that God's word will say that, right? That, that there is this portion of God's word with it, which is profitable for instruction and for teaching. And at the same time, um, God's will for me is my sanctification. And so I have to approach God's word by asking, man, what is it that God's word is saying? What is it that God is telling me in this section by looking at the context, looking at what it's actually saying? And now how am I going to live this out? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think when we're looking at even not just discernment, but when we're certainly, certainly looking at emotions, and I know we'll talk about this in other episodes, man, having a theology of emotions is incredibly important for the Christian because our emotions are going to communicate what or who we worship. Right. You know? And so I think, I think that's incredibly important as we explore discernment, have a theology of emotions, um, and even considering this, this broad topic of, of mental health in the church. One of the things that we were talking about offline and, and I'd like you to speak into this, one of the, it was this conversation centered around, and you touched on this a little bit already, but overemphasizing mental health, and discipleship. Where do you think those two meet? Where do you think those two um, are so distinct that one is becoming louder than the other? Therefore, it's harmful. Um, yeah, why don't you go from there, and then I'll, I'll jump in from time to time. Yeah, yeah. I think our our mental health and the way that we think about things and the way that we feel about things um, is relevant in discipleship. But kind, yeah, kind of like we were talking about before discipleship should be the the foundation of that and in discipleship our mental health is addressed in some ways Mm. maybe sometimes that leads to you need to get some actual professional counseling um but i don't think that the church is completely unequipped well let me back up i don't think that healthy churches are completely unequipped Mm. to be able to address the mental health and the of an individual. I don't think it always requires professional counseling. Mm, I think if we have a healthy understanding of emotions, we know that emotions aren't our authority, but they are, they are created by God and we have them for a reason that they're relevant for us. And we know that then in the context of our discipleship, we're able to work through some of that stuff um, in a way that, hopefully ultimately it's just pointing us to Christ, not pointing us to some idea about, you know, self-actualization, which is kind of a theme that comes out of psychology. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's good. I think you mentioned something really good, like healthy churches are not completely unequipped to uh, address mental health in the context of discipleship. And right. You said, and so, and one of the things that we've been talking about is, that 
kind of from a larger perspective, the church as a whole actually is under-equipped or maybe not under-equipped, but the church is behind on mental health. And I think yeah. much like we, we've talked about like mental health in the church, we've talked a little bit about um, uh, the role of emotions. I think sometimes because it's something that isn't known well by members in the church, whether it's because it's not being addressed, it's not being taught to members. I think oftentimes congregations will assume that that mental health is something that you only need to get you only and always should get professional help on, or it makes me feel uncomfortable. Therefore I'm not necessarily going to dive into it. And as some of these topics and some of these concerns continue to evolve and increase, the church just keeps falling behind and behind and behind. And so the church is seen as old fashioned. The church is seen as antiquated uh, and uh, unprepared to actually make disciples in the contexts uh, of uh, mental health concerns. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, it's interesting that that has become a problem because, and when I'm talking about the church, um, you know, most of what I'm exposed to is DFW area. Right. And so I'm referring to, you know, the churches that I tend to see around here. The Bible belt. Um, the Bible belt. Exactly. Where <laughs> there's so focused on getting people in the door and mm-hmm. keeping them there yeah. that, you know, they, they want it to be entertaining. It's, it's much more, um, seeker sensitive than really focused on equipping the congregation. It seems like, yeah. Uh, and so they'll do these messages where they're talking about anxiety or they're talking about depression. Um, but it's more of like kind of cherry picking things to kind of make yeah. their point where I love the way that y'all did your series last summer, uh, on, emotions and just walking through the songs you know yeah um man like that's and so i think it's they lean into this idea that well we need to make this relevant so that people will come and that they'll enjoy it and that they'll be able to to apply it but i think what ends up happening is that they just water down what scripture actually has to say about our mental health yeah um in an attempt to soften it and not run anybody, run anybody off. And then they end up just giving this really insignificant, like unchanging message yeah. because we're I mean, essentially, we're leaving the gospel out of it. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting that you mentioned like the context and approach to, um, the, you know, mental health in the church within, within the DFW, right. Very seeker sensitive, trying to get people in the door. Therefore you have a church that is uh, shallow, under-equipped and almost incapable of knowing how to engage some of these concerns. And it's funny, like I was beginning to think, man, what does that look like down here? Right. What does that look like in the context of the Valley? And I think when you look at the mental health concerns in the, in the area of the Valley, I think a couple of things. Number one, I think about just deep rooted, traditional Mexican uh, values and for an individual to communicate mental health concerns, it is quick, like something's wrong. Um, Something's wrong with that individual. Uh, You either don't need to talk about it or you need to embrace some kind of indigenous remedy 
or um, it's demonic. The reason you have, the reason you may have a mental health concern is because of something that's wrong with you in the sense of like a demonic presence. And yeah. so this is because of your sin. This is because of the, some of the decisions you've made. This is because of the people that you are around uh, or the things that you've exposed yourself to. And so it's rather than oftentimes, rather than this coming alongside that should happen, it is this belittling of the individual for their past or decisions that they made. And, and as they belittle them, um, they are kind of pushed to not say anything. And I think, and so I think that's one side of it. The other side of it is where, and I think you might even see this in DFW, if not everywhere else. The other side of it is like, it's, it's the, no, we do need to speak about this. We do need to talk about this. We do need to equip the community about this. And I think I'm all, I, I am all for that. I think that's good. However, they, they do it so much or they do it with so much of an intention of blurring a lot of the lines um, between spirituality um, and, and actual professional help. And so it gets, it gets blurred because there's so much conversation and communication centered around the topic of mental health that you almost feel like you don't know where to start. You don't know whether this is spiritual or whether I should get some professional help. And so there's just these blurred lines because I think there's this very loud response to the first generation's way of handling it right? Don't say anything. This is your fault. You have the current generation who's like, no, this isn't, we need to talk about this. And this is, that's actually a really good thing, but it's almost as if they're so excited to talk about it because of the urgency that, that it has, that there really isn't clear lines as to, okay, all right, great. We're talking about this. How do I then move forward? Yeah. Which kind of goes back to what you were saying about discernment. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's almost like a, it's like a traumatic response in some ways. It's like, well, this is how the generation did it before. So we're going to swing really hard the opposite direction and it's still not balanced. It's still an overreaction just in the other direction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But if there's any discernment landing on what the scriptures say about this, how can we apply this in the scripture and be of sound mind and operate the way that, you know, we're pulling out of God's word rather than just whatever it is that the culture happens to be saying about mental health yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, that we would have a better idea, but it, it just makes me think about biblical literacy and how if Christians don't spend time in the word and maybe they're not at a church that is even spending much time in the word itself mm-hmm. every Sunday, then where do we even develop those ideas were going to be heavily impacted by the culture and by whatever yeah. it is that people are saying, because some of it is good ideas. You know, it's, it's not that these ideas are just obviously sinful or, you know, would only lead us down a bad path. And that's why wisdom from the scriptures. So, so, I mean, it's a must for yeah. believers so that we can take that stuff and separate out what is actually helpful and what would take us down a bad path. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to know, and we could we could start wrapping it up here because I know we'll we'll dive into more specific things in a bit, but I think sure. it's important to note, like for instance, when you read Mark 2, you see Jesus teaching and healing this large crowd uh, from his house. And we see these four friends grab their other friend who is bedridden. He's a paralytic and they see that they can't get him to Jesus. And so they get up on the roofs and they get up on the roof of this house and they remove the roof and lower their friend so that, so that Jesus would heal him. Right. And you just see like the tenacity of, of these dudes, which is great. I think Um, like they desire so much for their friend to be healed. What's really fascinating is that as they lower their friend and they're like, here he is, right? You're right there with Jesus. Jesus's response to the paralytic is, son, your sins are forgiven. And that's his initial response. And what's so critical about that is it's a couple of verses later, Jesus heals him. He says, hey, get up and walk, right? And, And the individual does, which was phenomenal. What's so important, though, is Jesus isn't unaware of his need. Jesus isn't yeah. unaware of this important and great need. But yeah. he looks past that and addresses his deepest need. Right. right? Reconciliation to God, forgiveness of his sin. Right? right. And it is only God who can actually do that. And so for him to, for the friend to be lowered and for Jesus to see him and his response be your son, your, your sins are forgiven. Right. Yeah. Jesus looks past even what is a great need and looks to the deepest need first, addresses that. And then you see this external transformation from this individual where he is restored and healed and he is able to walk and, and you know, tell everybody about Jesus. Yeah. And so Man. I thought that was a really fascinating like um perspective, I think, but it's just really fascinating to see like uh it's not that Jesus is unaware of like mental health concerns. It's not that Jesus doesn't care about them. It's not that right. these concerns and issues and conversations aren't of great importance um or insignificant. But when you look at the gospels, when you look at the person and work of Christ, he doesn't waste any time and goes directly to the heart and addresses our deepest need first so that in the transformation, we could address the external, we could address what's going on. We could address other things that are actually conflicting us. Um, And so, because the truth is, even if Jesus didn't heal that individual, he would have been, I think, not just more capable, but because his heart was changed and his mind was renewed, um, he would have been able to address his condition differently. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's something that's key about about the work of the gospel in in yeah. in, in in people the 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 fact that our hearts are not only transformed but our minds are renewed. And even if we're not healed, even if this great need doesn't go away. I am now able through the Holy spirit to address it in a way that was completely different than before because my deepest need has been met. Yeah. That's so good, man. Gosh, I didn't thought of that. That's so, so good. Yeah. Yeah, Because we should be so much more concerned about 
what Jesus wants to happen for us than yeah, you yeah. Know, our own plan. Yeah. That's I mean, one of the things that I feel like I took away from Abilene is like, dude, I'm going to have my plans. I'm going to have my ideas of what I want to happen, but I have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that, I mean, maybe this thing that I'm dealing with, and this is obviously not to belittle, you know, the struggles that people face with right. mental health concerns. And I mean, I did community health for a couple of years too. Like I've seen like the really bad side of it too. Not, yeah. not, not that depression isn't bad in itself, but I mean, schizophrenia and drug abuse is like just a different beast. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that I'm belittling these things, but I do think that we need to have an understanding that God really is over all of it. Yeah. Like none of this is catching him by surprise. He's not knocked off balance because of a mental health crisis. Like yeah. he's still at work and all of it. And that we can so easily lose sight of that and think that, man, I'm still struggling with this. So God must not care about me or I must still be disappointing mm. him or just so, such bad theology can come out of that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Man, or I've had individuals tell me about, for instance, sin that they still wrestle with and they're 20, 30 years into walking with the Lord and they're asking, man, what's wrong with me? You know, and so having conversations centered around sanctification, right? Like, hey, how do we, the way we would define sanctification um, simplistically would be our response to the work of God in us, right? And, um, and so walking into conversations centered around sanctification and looking at sin in a way that's, Hey, there's some ownership you need to take, but at the same time, you need to remember that you've been forgiven of these things. And because of the spirit dwelling in you, um, you are able to say no to these things. That doesn't mean it's not going to be easy or, I mean, it's simple, just not easy. And so you are able to respond to these things in a way where you weren't able to before you are able to put these things to death, um, because of God's work in you. And so, um, yeah, I think the conversation center around sanctification and sin is, um, is good, godly, necessary. I think it applies even to, um, the conversation around mental health concerns, mainly because sometimes what you were saying, like either there's so much involvement or there has been so much distance that, I think you have to have these conversations centered around sanctification, uh, the work of Christ for sinners, uh, what sin actually is, not so that you belittle them or not so that you dismiss them, um, but so that you are equipping them, discipling them, counseling them biblically so that you can get to what the heart is and at the same time provide the kind of care that they may need. Cool, man. That's good, man. Yeah, dude. Well, this is uh, this is our first episode. We hope you guys uh, enjoy this time and enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you for listening to the Reforming Lounge podcast. Follow us on social media at the Reforming Lounge on Instagram. If you have questions, we want to hear from you. Visit the Reforming Lounge dot com.